Well, it's John DePietro. We are at Veterans Auditorium, standing by for Governor Raimondo. And folks, it's brought to you by Winfield Termite Pest Control. Call them today, 401-821-7800 or online, winfieldpest.com. Rhode Island's most dependable pest control service, family-friendly pest control professionals you can trust for your home. Call Winfield Termite and Pest Control today, 821-7800. Remove ants, termites, mice, cockroaches, any pests from your home, yard, business, or commercial property. For a free estimate or to schedule a home inspection, Call Winfield Termite and Pest Control, 821-7800. Also protect you from ticks and mosquitoes. Winfield Termite and Pest Control, 821-7800. Here's Governor Raimondo. continue to lose people so please bear that in mind this is a very serious virus and continue to follow the rules because even one lost Rhode Islander is is too many Uh, as a recap earlier this week we gave the green light to every school district in the state of Rhode Island except Providence and Central Falls to begin with full in-person, in-school learning for all children starting September 14th. So that is, I hope that that is clear. I also want to reiterate, every parent still has a choice. We're still getting a lot of calls, so I'm going to try to clear this up. Just because your school district has the green light and the authority and the ability to reopen school in person and is providing in-person education for all children. It doesn't mean we're forcing you to send your kids in person. If you as a parent feel that it is better for your child to do virtual learning at home, no one is gonna force you to send that child to school. We understand that there are reasons that you may wanna do that and that is your prerogative. However, It is the obligation of the state and each city and town to provide a high-quality in-person education for the children of Rhode Island. And so we have said, starting September 14th, every district except Providence and Central Falls has been greenlit to start with full in-person learning. No parent is forced to take that option. We expect that um, full in-person learning will require some bit of a ramp up. We don't expect any school to on day one, September 14th, to welcome every kid back every day for a full day. The ramp up period will happen between September 14th and October 13th. But even on October 13th, if you have chosen as a parent to do virtual learning, you can go ahead and do that. I hope that's clear. We continue. I said it yesterday, I'll continue to say it. If you have any questions, let us know. Okay, Uh, yesterday I talked about our comprehensive approach to testing uh, for public schools. And today I want to talk about um, what happens when a child, a student, an employee of a school, a teacher, tests positive, which we know will happen. What happens next is the process that we have been referring to as contact tracing. 
Now, of course, a few months ago, we, none of us had ever heard of contact tracing, except for the experts in the Department of Health. It wasn't something that the rest of us had really become familiar with. Today, of course, we are. Um, we've spent the past six months here in Rhode Island developing an incredibly robust and effective system of contact tracing and also case investigation. Uh, case investigation, sometimes we say CI, case investigation is when the Department of Health and the team works with somebody who's tested positive to help them remember everybody they've been in close contact with since the time that they have become infectious. So contact tracing begins when we start reaching out to those individuals so that we can safely get them and all their contacts to quarantine. That's why I've been up here for months asking you, please, to keep your contact tracing notebooks. And if you haven't had a chance to do that yet, now's a great time to begin. Especially if you're a parent with children going to school, go get a contact tracing notebook for your kids. It's pretty simple. Every day, have them write down who they were in close contact with. It, it is simple, but it will absolutely save lives because you will get a phone call. If you test positive, if your child tests positive, you're going to get a phone call from somebody at the Department of Health, and they're going to they're take you through an interview and ask you who you've been in contact with. Now... Just like we're doing with testing, which I explained yesterday, we're establishing a dedicated, separate K through 12 contact tracing system for students and staff at both public and private schools. We're beginning by dedicating 50 members of our team exclusively to K through 12 contact tracing. And if 50 is not enough, we'll add more. But Based on, we've been doing this for six months. We have a model. Uh, it's the Department of Health, the National Guard. We've hired others. We feel pretty confident 50 is the right number to begin with. If it's not enough, we'll add more. So bear with me for a couple of minutes, please. Parents, um, teachers, students, I'd like to explain how it will work so you're not surprised by it. If you're a student or you work in a school and you test positive for COVID, you will, as I said, get a call from the Department of Health, a case investigator. They'll ask you a series of questions about where you've been and who you've been with in the past two weeks. That includes inside and outside of school. That's, again, why it would be great if you had your contact tracing notebook. Maybe you went out for dinner with friends. Maybe you played a sport with somebody. Maybe you went to the grocery store and you've been in school. So it's an interview. It's pretty extensive. And they'll ask you a series of questions. Why do we do this? Because we want to immediately or as quickly as possible identify anyone you've been exposed to to get them into quarantine. Now, we know students, just like all of us, aren't going to remember exactly who they've been near. So in addition to that phone call, when you're interviewed, the case investigators will connect directly with your school. 
Every single school has designated at least one staff member to assist the Department of Health with case investigations. And when we see a case associated with a school, our case investigator will reach out to the staff member to get information with the goal of determining who was a close contact. Now, if you're wondering, as a lot of people have been asking, what is a close contact? A close contact is anyone that you have been close to within six feet for more than 15 minutes at a time. So it's not someone you were with for a minute. It's not someone you casually brushed by. It's not someone who you chit-chatted with briefly. Close contact for 15 minutes or more. Um, when the Department of Health calls that person at the school, they'll ask questions like, how does the student get to school? So we know whom they may have been with on the bus. Uh, what's their assigned seating on the bus? Who's near them on the bus? When was, the, when was that individual last in school? Who sits next to them in class? Who sits next to them at lunch? Et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is the reason why, for the past couple of months, we've been saying to everybody, school this year has to be incredibly structured. This is exactly why, incredibly structured. So seating charts are vital. Seating charts on the bus, seating charts at lunch, seating charts in every single classroom. Because when somebody tests positive, the case investigator will call the person and the school representative and they're going to want to have a good handle of who's been around that child, who sits near that child at lunch, who sits near that child in the classroom, who sits near that child on the bus, etc. Close contacts of a person who've tested positive have to quarantine for 14 days. And if you're a student, that means you'll be doing distance learning at home for those 14 days. During that time, they'll be monitored for symptoms and, of course, they'll be tested. But I want to be clear. Even if you test negative and even if you don't ever develop symptoms, you still have to stay in the full 14-day quarantine. Okay, now that's for close contacts. But what about classmates? A question that we hear pretty frequently is, what if my child is in a classroom or a class with somebody who tests positive? Uh, and the same from teachers. If a student in my class tests positive, do I need to quarantine? Does my child need to quarantine? And the answer is no, you do not unless you meet the definition of being a close contact as, and you will be told that by the investigator from the Department of Health. So, um, if that, and again, that means if you were closer, if you were close to somebody for more than 15 minutes. So, if you send your child to school, you hear from your child that somebody in his or her classroom tested positive, that doesn't necessarily mean that your child has to be in quarantine. It's only if your child was a close contact with the person who tested positive. 
Having said that, if you feel more comfortable, go ahead and get, get your child tested. That is fine. We have ample opportunity to do that. But we don't want parents to think that your child has to automatically be quarantined just because they were at lunch with or in a classroom with somebody who tested positive. And the same is true for a teacher. Every single school has set up processes for communicating with students and families when there is a positive case in a school. Uh, we know that because that was ha what had to happen before the Department of Health signed off on the district's plan. Um, the Department of Health will be there supporting our school communities each step of the way. And um, we know we're going to see positive cases. By the way, we're seeing positive cases now among children. They've been in child care all summer. They've been at child sport, been in sports all summer. They've been having summer jobs at the grocery store. We've been seeing positive cases all summer, and we will see cases when school opens. Um, the focus, so we can't stop that. We can't stop the positive cases. What we can do is quickly identify the positive cases, put our systems into action, do our contact tracing, quarantine all the close contacts to prevent outbreaks and to allow for um, a smooth operation of school, as smooth as is possible considering the circumstance. Just like we've been doing for, five month, for four months with childcare and churches and the prison system and congregate care and nursing homes, We've gotten pretty good at dealing with these um, incidents and preventing outbreaks. Rapid effective contact tracing will allow us to minimize disruption and keep kids, students, teachers, and all school employees safely in school. Now I want to be clear. We've said from day one, uh, we're not going to allow people to be in school if we don't think it's safe, if we don't think the risk is low enough. So we have a comprehensive system and set of standards for when we might need to actually scale back in-person learning. Uh, and that's based on our testing and contact tracing. And please put the slide up. The slide in front of you is one that I showed a couple of weeks ago, but I just wanted to put it out briefly again to reassure everybody that uh, we have a plan. We have a very thoughtful plan for when, when we might have to shut down a classroom, temporary shut down an entire school. If you look at this, the slide in front of you, in the first scenario, limited cases within a stable group is exactly what I just talked about. We would immediately test, do contact tracing, and quarantine anyone in close contact with a positive case and continue operating in that classroom and in that school with limited disruption. In the second scenario, where we would see cases in multiple groups, but where there's a clear link within a school, we would take the same exact steps. Rapid testing, rapid contact tracing, quarantining, school continues with minimal disruption. In the third scenario, where there's community transmission impacting multiple groups without a clear single link in the school, the Department of Health at that point might also consider a more aggressive step such as temporarily closing a school or a section of a school. Uh, as a reminder, if you are interested in even more detail, if you go to the website Back to School RI, 
there's a very detailed 24-page health protocol playbook that goes through step-by-step everything that I've just reviewed in summary. So bottom line is this. We have a separate system and hotline for K-12 testing, separate system for K-12 contact tracing and case investigation. We know there'll be positive cases. We're fully prepared to deal with them. If there are a limited number of positive cases, we do rapid testing, rapid contact tracing, quarantine and isolation. School goes on as normal with limited disruption. Uh, If, however, the Department of Health, working very closely day by day with the school, finds that there's a broader transmission, then they will at that time make a decision to close a classroom, close a section of a school, or close the school. But that will not happen for just isolated positive cases in any particular school. Um, okay, I hope that shed some light onto the process. Again, we feel very confident in these systems, but it's easy for us to say we've been doing it nonstop for six months. I hope that hearing that gives you some comfort. And now I'm going to turn it over to the commissioner. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the reopening and clear up any confusion or questions that parents may have. Le voy a hablar ahora de la reapertura para cualquier pregunta que ustedes tengan. We announced, as you know, the governor gave the green light for us to move forward on opening schools. However, Providence and Central Falls are in partial reopening. Como ustedes saben, ya el lunes la gobernadora dio la luz verde para que las escuelas abran en persona, pero el distrito de Providence y Central Falls van a venir parcial, y le voy a explicar lo que eso significa. So, for those two districts, based on the municipal data, the data for their districts, what do the numbers look like? They will be coming back partially in person. And what that means is that they will be prioritizing elementary schools, full in person five days a week and they will be looking at transition grades sixth ninth whatever it is in either of the two districts but that's important for parents to know and they still have the option to do to make a selection of whether they want their student or their child to come in in person or virtually para los padres eso significa que en la ciudad de providence y central falls se le va a dar a la prioridad a los niños que sean de elementar que sean niños con discapacidad que sean eh, niños que hablan otro idioma, están aprendiendo inglés como otro idioma, los grados que son transicional, como el sexto, el noveno, para que ellos vengan en persona eh, y hasta que se, los números se aclaren y le permitan que vengan todos. Pero los padres todavía tienen la opción de elegir que su hijo vaya a la escuela virtualmente y no en persona. Quería aclararle eso porque estamos recibiendo muchas preguntas acerca de eso. We've been receiving a lot of questions about that, so we want to make sure that you had all the information. También vamos a seguir hacia adelante. I also wanted to remind everyone of the work that's still happening to make instruction happen in whatever scenario. And we have right now about 75 offerings that have already been publicized that have been going on. Some are scheduled sessions, some are self-paced. So I'll give you a feel for what they are. And they will be going on 
up until October. So some of them are ride-led sessions, some of them are outsourced social-emotional learning resources, digital literacy, teaching reading online, math considerations for unfinished learning, accelerated learning in math and science, supporting differently able students and multilingual learners. We have organizations like Achievement Network, Rethink Ed, Mental Health Tech Center, Teaching Lab, Rhode Island Historical Society, and other offerings. So I don't want anyone to think that we are not working really hard on the education on all fronts, because that is what's happening. Quería aclararle a todos los padres que estamos trabajando para apoyar a las, los distritos, no importa de qué manera van a regresar, eh, le estamos ofreciendo a los maestros talleres para que sepan cómo impartir docencia en persona o, o usando las plataformas digitales, porque queremos que todo el mundo sea exitoso. Um, so I hope that that clarifies how we're going back in person and the difference between Central Falls and Providence compared to other districts. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner and Governor. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to add into this the update on our data. In terms of our numbers for today, we have 53 new cases of COVID-19. There are currently 78 people with COVID-19 hospitalized in Rhode Island, and eight people are in an ICU, with four of those eight people on a ventilator in an intensive care unit. Sadly, as the governor mentioned, we do have one additional COVID-19 fatality to report. This individual was in their 90s. Our sympathies continue to be with the families of this cherished Rhode Islander, as well as all those impacted during this time. I want to take a moment to add with, to what's been shared and talk about COVID-19 and children. Something that we've been seeing both across the country and in Rhode Island is that COVID-19 is generally a much milder illness for children compared to adults. Hospitalization rates where children are significantly lower than hospitalization rates in adults with COVID-19 here in Rhode Island, as well as in general, nationally. Of all our hospitalizations, 1% of them have been seen in the infant to age nine years category. And 1% have been among people aged 10 years to 19 years old. There's a lot of research being done right now to better understand the rates at which people of different ages get COVID-19 and are transmitting COVID-19. However, our experience with children in structured environments in Rhode Island is that we have seen very little secondary spread. What do I mean by a structured environment? This is referring to an organized setting and what we are talking about as the goal for K through 12, similar to how we applied it for uh, childcare. An organized setting includes a place where screening for symptoms happens frequently, where regular environmental cleaning is done, where there are clear rules that are followed about mask wearing, and where people are ensuring social distancing. For example, we've seen fewer than five cases associated with summer camps through this whole summer. 
and all of those cases were isolated without secondary transmission continuing. That means in none of these instances did we see spread between children. That's a huge kudos to the tremendous work that our summer camp done. And it again reflects when you apply the structure and the planning that we are taking step by step in each of these scenarios in Rhode Island, you can see the benefits of those outcomes and how we can keep children and staff safe. As I've discussed previously, not much secondary transmission at child care sites. More than 700 child care sites are currently operating in Rhode Island, each with their own COVID-19 prevention and control plan. We've seen roughly 45 cases of COVID-19 among children and adults associated with these hundreds of sites. And these cases were spread out among approximately just 25 facilities out of the 700 plus child care sites that have been open. When you think about those numbers, 45 cases among 25 facilities, it's clear that we're not seeing large groupings of cases at individual sites. And again, the key component is not seeing ongoing spread, secondary transmission of cases. When we're able to keep that under control, that's where we see the success of keeping uh, COVID-19 uh, controlled. What we're focused on is preventing spread in schools. We know that cases will occur similar to how the flu has occurred or other respiratory illnesses. COVID-19 can occur. What our key is, is stopping transmission to multiple other people. Our experience with child care makes clear that when a facility takes a thoughtful comprehensive approach to prevention, which is a part of the COVID control prevention plan, the chances of us seeing new cases at that site are greatly minimized. So we have the tools in place to be able to keep um, control of COVID-19 when isolated cases occur. We absolutely have the infrastructure in place we are going to absolutely replicate this infrastructure in schools and limit or prevent the spread of COVID-19, which is our goal, so that people can have a productive academic school year. With that, I'm going to stop and get us started with questions. Doctor, earlier this week I requested the opportunity to tag along with the inspectors or walkthroughs. Um, it wasn't something that could be accommodated. I think that could be done with the media to tag along with some of the walkthroughs of schools so that parents, and we're hearing from a lot of teachers even, that are saying, hey, look, whole districts are taking two hours to inspect. Just give them a bit more confidence. We, that's something that we can work on together. What we are focusing on with these walkthroughs is these are actual working sessions. So we want it to be able to really engage the people that are going to um, be working on problem solving together. We have two to three members of our team and we have uh, individuals from the school facility that are walking through and seeing what's needed. So that's why having a group that's focused is one that we are um, um, continuing with. 
In addition to that, though, we are able to. These are all scenarios where they with public money. The media be engaged. This is a working session, so we want it to be a productive environment that allows the folks leading the facility to have the tools they need to be able to problem solve effectively. If there are large groups of people that are engaged and around, it just decreases the ability to do that effectively. And we're wanting to get to the place where we can verify what the schools have put together as their plans and be able to you know, provide some confidence that what they said they want to do and are doing they have the setup to be able to do effectively. We're hearing from some people who say members of uh, DOH weren't at these inspections. So have you or the governor been to any of these inspections? And what is your understanding of what these are like? We're told that someone said air testing is put on the school districts, not done by this inspection. So we can start with correcting the reference to inspection. These are the walkthroughs that are these collaborative working sessions that are put in place by an interdisciplinary state team to work with the school and the facility leadership to help understand where are their challenges in fulfilling what they said they were going to do with their plan and how can we problem solve together. Our interdisciplinary state team has undergone a training together. We work on the checklist together. It includes the Rhode Island Department of Health. It includes Department of Business Regulation. It includes the Rhode Island National Guard. It includes uh, leadership from the Department of Education. In order to cover the 300 plus buildings, we need this interdisciplinary team to be able to um, go in different uh, directions at the same time that's going to involve different members of that interdisciplinary leadership team. Corbett told me that they don't believe it's sufficient, the, the checklist that you have. They think that there are more concerns that should be addressed. So do you think that the checklist and the inspections that you're doing are thorough and adequate? The checklist is a reflection of the guidance that we have given and that schools have shared with us as part of their plan. So we're pulling out the key elements that we know are going to be critical for uh, ensuring that uh, the school is fulfilling what they said they are going to do. We hold the school fully accountable to um, completing all elements of the plan, but we wanted to really be focused on ensuring those key components that we know are needed for these walkthroughs are um, fulfilled. Well, Governor, what do you see the concern that these are not so how many members of this team are in place? And is it reasonable to expect that these people can cover, as you admitted, 300 plus buildings in the space of two to three weeks? So let's talk about what these are and what they're not. We have about 14 teams of people out there. Each team has multiple people on them. And as we keep saying over and over, they're not inspections. You guys insist on referring to them as inspections. We can agree to disagree. They were never intended to be inspections. Here's the process. For three months, we've been working with cities and towns to put plans together. It is the primary obligation for the city and town to get their school ready. We've been helping them. They've made their plans available to us. We've worked for months with them. Every plan has gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with the Department of Health and the Department of Education.
as a kind of a belt and suspenders, we heard from some folks that wouldn't it be nice if you could have a checklist and have human beings go through every building and make sure that what was represented on the paper was in fact happening in the school. And so that is what we are doing. As far as I know, we're the only state in America doing it. It is an above and beyond approach to give everybody a little bit more confidence. They are not inspections, as would as you would think of as an inspection with like uh, department of business regulation. But I think it's an excellent idea. It was not my idea, so I can say that. It was given to me by actually Larry Pirtle of the NEA, who's been a fantastic partner. And he said, Gov, it might just give our teachers a little more confidence. So yesterday they did, I think, 50 inspections or so. I haven't gotten the results yet. I don't know if anyone failed or passed. But it's just like an extra, it's just an extra effort um, to go in there and say, okay, you say you have fans in the windows. Do you really? You have windows that are broken? National Guard is there. Can we help you? How can we help you fix your broken windows? What are you really struggling with? So I want to be clear. It's the jo- If Warwick thinks it's not adequate, then Warwick should work a little harder. By the way, they aren't working very hard at all because they're not even trying to get the kids back in school. If they think that it should be more, then they should do more. And they should let us know how we can help them. It is the job of the schools, the LEAs, the cities and towns to get ready to get these kids back to school. What we are doing is providing support, providing testing, providing contact tracing, providing these walkthroughs as belt and suspenders, providing $50 million of extra money, providing them with everything we know how to do in order to help them. This is really hard. This also requires a willingness to want to get kids in school. You know, I read stories about tuberculosis in 1908. They taught kids outside in the middle of the winter. When there's a will, there is a way. We have an obligation to teach our kids. They are getting further and further behind. This will be incredibly hard. It will not be perfect. And these walkthroughs are just another way to give a hand to cities and towns who are struggling. By the way, I'm open to figuring out a way if you think it would be helpful. It's the first time I heard of it, so we'll think about it. But, you know, that's how I think about them. You said follow-up in the absence of empirical data presented to parents in the form of a published accounting of inspection, walkthrough, however you want to phrase it, that is critical to have any level of confidence given the physical near collapse of so many of these school systems yeah. out here on a, on a, on a bricks-and-mortar basis. So, you're right. look, that, that is true. So that's why there's a this back-to-school website where every city and town has published their plans, which has been approved by the Department of Health, where we've said to them, hey, if you get into trouble and you run out of masks or whatever, call us, we'll help you out. It's why we've set up a 24-7 education operations center, and it's why we're having trained teams of folks going through to say, check the box. So there will be a check the box. Every school, 300 and some odd schools, will have had a team walk through it and check the box. Is there an isolation room that's adequate? Yes, check the box. Is there adequate airflow in every classroom? Yes, check the box. So that is exactly what we're trying to do, and all that will be made transparent. 
Oh, that bit of it will be totally transparent. Here's the plan. Here's what they said they're going to do. And they've checked the boxes to say they've done it. The question, the question, the question that everyone wants to know, though, are, is the state of Rhode Island, in the absence of that responding effort by the municipalities, are they willing to support lawsuits against their own, uh, their own school districts? Yesterday, you seemed to encourage. I see. Okay, that's a different thing. That isn't my call. We are hearing from a lot of angry parents. We're hearing from a lot of angry parents, particularly parents whose kids have special needs, who have an independent learning plan with a contract that entitles them to in-person school. So parents are saying to us, what can we do? And it's up to them to kind of figure out their legal rights. But I, I have sympathy with parents who say, well, the state has green-lighted the school to open. How come you're not opening for my kid? But that, that's not my decision. That's, you know, the parent, if they feel they have a right, can exercise that right. Governor, you said it was the NEA, the teachers union, that suggested these walkthroughs. They're under the impression they're inspections, and you said they wanted some confidence. They're now saying they're, not, they're the ones who are criticizing these walkthroughs and saying they're perfunctory and they're passing by rooms and not checking them. If they were supposed to inspire confidence and the group that wanted them says they're not, you What's your response to that? Do you we're doing everything we know how to do. And if you're saying this is in school districts that want to reopen, where the unions and the school districts are ready and want to, and they're looking for this. We can try harder. I would I'll call them and say what, if anything, would pass muster for them. I mean, I'm, I am, I can't find another state that's doing more, literally. The president of the National American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weidgarten, tweeted out a thank you to Rhode Island. This is what schools should be doing. So we also are resource constrained. Um, I thought it was a good idea. We're trying to do it. It's not the only, if it were the only thing, this inspection, but this is like a icing on the top of the Educational Operations Center of three months of planning you know, of the back and forth, of Rido setting forth a 24-page playbook. I don't think they're perfunctory. You know, we have a checklist that's important, that hits on all the key issues. We have a team that's going into every single school. Um, we're helping where we think it's necessary to help. They're definitely not perfunctory. I don't, I really don't think they are. Governor, Governor we're, we're hearing from a lot of bus drivers, and they're wondering, are they going to be part of rapid testing? Uh, yes. Yeah, you mean school bus drivers? School bus drivers. I'm sorry, yes. Yes. Yeah, the whole K-12 system. Okay. And just, I know it's fluid, but if a child proves positive uh, that rides a certain bus, what right now is like the, the plan of what would happen? Even though I recognize it's a fluid situation, but I've heard from a number of bus drivers. What happens if one of the children that ride their bus tests positive? Same thing as in a classroom or a lunchroom or a any place. Uh, if they test positive, we'll do the contact tracing system immediately. There should be a seating chart on every bus. So if there's a bus driver or a another kid who is for more than 15 minutes within six feet of that child, then they have to be in quarantine. So not everyone, you know, if you're, three, if you're 10 feet away on the bus, you're not going to have to be quarantined. Governor, good afternoon. How are you? Hello. Uh, on July 15th, you 
announced the plan for small businesses. You said we're going to get 50 million out the door. Seven weeks later, five million has been allocated. 35% of the applications have been approved. 9,200 is the is the average award. Some people have given up. Some people say it's too much. We've got too much to jump through. Are you satisfied with the amount that's gone out the door? No, I am not satisfied. Although, nor am I critical of commerce because Why this. Not? So we had a long meeting about this yesterday. Um, we're frustrated. We are frustrated too. Here's I will be crystal clear about the situation here. We put out the 50 million. We thought that was a drop in the bucket relative to the need. Um, we have a certain set of paperwork that is required, you know, in checks and balances to make sure that everyone who gets the money is ought to, is deserving of the money. And a lot of businesses, particularly the smaller businesses, are just struggling to work with the system. And so we're trying to simplify the system to make it a little bit easier for them. But we have to keep some checks and balances in place. Right, but you also put restrictions. Some people didn't even apply. The sole proprietors were out. We are working on expanding that. And then you have this company in Minnesota that it wasn't really, that we talked about a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. that it's not really clear. And a lot of people are leery about giving them their information. In in terms of welcoming, the small business community has told me, it it is in effect, the skeptic would say, you don't really want this money to go out the door. You want to save it for other things like the budget, like the schools. And you're not helping us. So what would you say to those who say the administration has failed them as small businesses have started to close over the last month? So I say a few things. The demand hasn't been as great as we thought. Um, We are putting money out the door, and I would love nothing more than to put every penny of it out the door because that's what it's there for. We do not want to save it. We are absolutely thinking of expanding to sole proprietors, and we've been talking to them about that. We are trying to strike a balance between getting the money out the door, but also requiring them to provide the necessary paperwork so that the, you know, they fulfill the criteria. But is the demand not as great because you put up so many barriers? I don't think so, but I don't know. By the way, this, I don't know. And this is not unique to Rhode Island. You, you see this, it's like another 10 states have done a similar small business program to us. Everyone is having a similar experience. Vermont got the money right out the door with all, not all these strings attached. With the accountability, a $15,000 per business went out the door. Well, I will look into that because I know we've been talking to Utah and other places that have the same exact experience. Let me say this to you. If you guys, you, I, you've helped me in the past with the sports and such. If you're talking to people who say to you, it is this particular requirement that we're getting hung up on. It is this particular piece of paperwork that we're getting hung up on. It's this, like, help us fix the system. We are talking every day to small businesses to try and make it easier. But if you have suggestions. It's easy for you to say that, Governor, here. You have small businesses calling commerce, and it's like a brick wall. Now, commerce has has helped some people, but they've been trying to get some of this information, and it has been less than helpful. They can't just pick up and say, hi, Governor Monroe's office, can you put the governor on, please? (laughs) I would say that, first of all, um, they can get through to us. I will say commerce has been incredibly responsive. We, people by and large have said they get their calls returned within a day. We return every email. We're working every day with these small businesses. We've got millions of dollars out the door to thousands of businesses. We're going to continue to get more money out the door to more thousands of businesses. So 
you know, we are on it and we are putting money out the door. We do get a lot of emails saying, thank you for the money. It saved my business. However, we can always do better. I always want to do better. We're not saving the 50 million for the budget and we have to work harder. And I, by the way, I say that too for the schools. Like there's no, everybody's looking, including me, for like just that silver bullet. And we don't have it. So these, these walkthroughs are intended to provide a bit more confidence. And I don't think they're perfunctory, but nor are they perfect. Sorry, again, you use the term walkthrough. You use the word, the checklist themselves uses the term inspection. I know it may be semantics, but I think so people were just expand, expecting more. And when you call it a walkthrough, it kind of lessens the expectation of what it is. Um, I don't know what to say. You know, I definitely don't think they're perfunctory. We're getting updates. The checklist is pretty comprehensive. We're engaging in a hands-on way. Like just yesterday with Providence, uh, it was a call that, you know, even I was a part of. And they, they need more fans. And they need help installing the fans. So they came to us and said, help us out. And we said, fine. And the National Guard and our own team is going to get out there and help them. Other schools are saying, we need desks. Our kids are at tables. You can't separate them at tables. We said, fine, we're going to help you get desks. So when I think of an inspection, like with a restaurant, historically, it's, it's more of an inspection than you get a demerit. Right? That's not what this is. This is a, you're struggling with such and such, how can we help you? So call it whatever you like, but it's meant to have someone who is some level of expertise with physical eyes on every school. Thank you. Good afternoon. Right now it's 149 on this Wednesday and it's John DePietro and you just you're listening to AM 1380 99.9 FM. Just heard Governor Mundo with her uh, this week. It is a weekly press briefing all about the schools. And you could also really hear there where the as uh, I've been telling you, the unions are truly pushing back uh, in what the governor had set up with the National Guard is just like a walkthrough with the schools. Instead, now the union pushback is uh, tremendous where they're trying to say that's not an inspection and they're not going through every room and they're not touching every. So you're going to see a lot of that. I want to once again, in let if you're tuning in right now and wherever you live um, in the Rhode Island area, you're and, and I think even the part of Massachusetts that we reach primarily Especially Rhode Island, though, you've been given the green light. Your district can do in person. Now, folks, on this, it all comes down to if the uh, school committee and the teachers, if they if they want to do it. But you think about it. it. I mean, it can be done. And it's everything that we have uh, touched on. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Competition Shooting Supplies. Folks, call them today, 727-1716, 727-1716, Competition Shooting Supplies. Stop in and see our friend John Francis, located 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket, the original, the best. It's Competition Shooting Supplies. So, just to recap, 
uh, you can really hear how, and I was mentioning this, and I'll probably do a story later. You can check on um, the website, topetro.com, but it is the uh, unions are really pushing back hard. The governor again mentioned Warwick, and the unions are really... Uh, teacher unions are pushing back with the governor. And it does sound like splitting hairs on whether it's a, is it an inspection? Is it a walkthrough? It's my understanding it was designed and basically set up as just as the governor said. It was just like an extra another thing um, where the National Guard is there and to check on, you know, the school and do kind of like a, a once over, like a checklist type of thing. But instead, they are... Um, as you could hear, they're kind of going to town on that. Now, I want to remind people, folks, this was these they're initially designed for 25 minutes. And right now it's 151 on this Wednesday. So it went longer than that. But there's a lot of information there. And it is important because next week is when teachers are expected to do teacher development. And then the uh, children are set to return to school, not next week. But the week after. So if you're listening right now um, and as far as, you know, keep in mind, uh, a week from Monday is supposed to be the first day of school. And also, I want to remind people, some people are back in school. Some of the private schools went back on Monday. That was supposed to be the first day, which was August 31st. Now the new first day of school across the state is set for the 14th, for August 14th. Now, a couple of reminders also. If you want to learn more, we will be doing a posting about the horrific uh, crime in Providence. So you can uh, see that. We have video on that. And also the protesters again were up in Providence last night on Federal Hill. Um, we do have a story about that at the website, depetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com. By the way, I also <coughs> want to say hello to all the uh, different school bus drivers that reached out to me. I got your question in. And if you have a question for me, folks, and so many people do, uh, go to the website, depetro.com, and then you just click on Contact John. That is a direct link, and you can get through to me. Now, tomorrow on the show, just a reminder, unless there's some kind of a change, we are expected to have Donald Trump Jr. will be my guest on the program tomorrow. So tune in right at 11, right at 11. Now, could be fluid. Who knows what goes on today? Sometime, one time in the past, the last time we had him on, we were supposed to have him and then we had to reschedule. So it can be a fluid situation. But as of right now, that is the plan. And if you're a Trump supporter, don't forget coming up on Monday is going to be the Trump Rhode Island flotilla at Rocky Point. Now, Rocky Point is now open space, but there's a nice dock there and there's plenty of room. And that's where people view the Trump boat parade from last time. So if you'd like to be part of that... Uh, that will be going on on Monday. I'll probably have another reminder on that tomorrow and on Friday. So now, in regards to the election, folks, the good news if you're a Trump supporter is um, President Trump yesterday. I thought he was terrific in Wisconsin. Folks, he's trying to heal the nation. But as you know, the Democrat Party is not trying to heal the nation. And Biden, simply, he, I, I, I've yet to see. Uh, he, everything he's doing is in a very... Uh, restricted area. Now, other news breaking on this Wednesday is the situation that uh, Chris Wallace now of Fox News, Fox News Sunday, Chris Wallace has been, been announced. He will be the moderator for the first debate between President Trump and Joe Biden at the end of this month. 
Now, that's going to be really interesting to see. That's I believe it's September 29th. That is, it's a Tuesday night, and that will be, uh, hopefully, there will be three debates. But uh, I know we know Nancy Pelosi was trying to get Biden out of them, but that debate is set. If you are a Trump supporter, why not stop by and see our friends at Ron's Pastry Gourmet? 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. Look for them on Facebook. Ron's Pastry Gourmet, where you can get Trump chocolate donuts, Trump cupcakes, uh, delicious calzones. Hey, load up for the big long weekend. This weekend is Labor Day weekend. Ron's Pastry Gourmet. 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence, right next door to AAA in Providence, off of Silver Spring Street, right around the corner from the cellos on Silver Spring Street. It's Ron's Pastry Gourmet and load up on some delicious calzones. They have pizza strips, uh, delicious sandwiches, and don't forget, free coffee for police and military at Ron's Pastry Gourmet. So, folks, the uh, the Trump campaign, it continues now that we are, are hearing some different events that will be going on in the area. We'll keep you up to speed on that. But uh, if you're a Trump supporter, I think also, I mean, look who's running that Democrat Party with the fact that, as you know by now, Markey defeated Kennedy in that primary for Senate. So that is really, really dramatic and shows that was a battle between Kennedy, who's more of a moderate, and he had was had that big endorsement from Nancy Pelosi, and AOC was backing Ed Markey. And who won that race? You know who won that race. That was Mark Markey holds on in the primary. Now there's also there is a Republican challenger, and I believe we're going to have him on. I'll have to check, but I believe we're going to have him on uh, sometime, uh, if not next week, the week after. This portion of the John DePietro Show, folks, on this rainy Wednesday, perfect time stop in and see our friend at Marie. It's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, that old historic white church. It's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can call her at 305-3585. But this is the time you want to remain healthy, you and your family. And they have tremendous vitamins, herbal remedies, also the incredible antioxidant, which is a kyberry. Stop in and see Marie. They also have uh, children's vitamins. And there's also natural ingredients. For instance, they have tremendous mushrooms and other things you want to put in whenever you're cooking. Pop in. I bet you've driven by her place, 1099 Menden Road, that old white church. It's my health. Stop in. It's a tremendous collaborative. And they also you can also find out about getting, how about a nice massage to relax over the course of the long weekend. And also they have the reflexologist. Maybe you're having problems with your back or different joints. It is just tremendous. That is my assignment to you. Stop in and see Marie at It's My Health in Cumberland. Well, folks, it's John DePietro. Right now, it's uh, 157. And then coming up, we're going to have the 2 o'clock news. And then we'll have the uh, John uh, Dion program coming your way on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, remember, visit the website, dipetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, where you can also visit the shop. And why not get, you can get a mug of wine. We have uh, some new items. We also have the uh, John DePietro Show face mask, which is wildly popular. One of our listeners showed up the other day when I was doing a Facebook Live, and she was, uh, Megan was wearing that with her adorable, well, we haven't met her little adorable uh, baby yet, Ava. But um, but it was terrific, and other people want to get it. It's all, you just go to the website, and at the top of the website, you'll see where it says shop. 
and then you go to that. You know what else I want to mention is if you scroll on the website, folks, look for the link to Just Angels. Just Angels is a local company of religious items that you can purchase. And they're quality and they're fantastic. And maybe you have someone that you want to remember. Maybe it's a person or a pet. There's also uh, some beautiful crosses and rosary beads. Just angels. Look for it. The link is right there. And they're based right here in Rhode Island. Right on petro.com on the right-hand side. Look for Just Angels. And when you're on the website, remember, if you ever miss any portion of the show, you can always um, click on Radio Show. And then everything is right there. So what's going to happen? We're going to get an update at the 2 o'clock news. The John Dion program is next. Again, folks, it's John DePietro. Thank you for tuning in each weekday, 11 to 2, AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Uh, visit the website, dpetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O. And then follow me on uh, Facebook and Twitter at John DePietro Show. So we are scheduled to have Don Jr., Donald Trump Jr. tomorrow on the show. He's got a brand new book out. We'll talk to him. We'll talk about the race. So uh, look forward to seeing you. And then as always, follow me on Facebook and Twitter at John DePietro Show.